Hey, I'm JD. And I'm Bud, and we're the Box Masters, and you're listening to Everything Fab Four on Salon.com. That's right. Everything Fab Four, a podcast focused on fun and intelligent stories about the Beatles. I'm your host, Ken Womack, music culture columnist for Salon.com and a Beatles scholar and historian. No other band, or popular phenomenon for that matter, has enjoyed the global impact the Beatles have and continue to have more than 50 years later. They are part of our human fabric. They created music that continues to bring people together, and just about everyone has their own Beatles story to tell, some that are surprisingly deep and unexpected. This show seeks to draw those stories out in interesting and insightful ways. Remember, it's a Beatles world, and everyone has a story. And I started checking out all the uh, the originals. I was like, man, there's some serious, serious songwriting here. Eleanor Rigby, the, the first phrase is five bars, but the, the strings had that kind of rhythmic bounce. So I, I was like, man, you know what? Let me try to see how this sounds swinging. And I remember when we first started playing it, everybody would get tripped up on that five bar phrase, you know, kind of tricky. Today's guest is Grammy-nominated American jazz guitarist Dan Wilson. Hailing from Akron, Ohio, Wilson cut his teeth at his local church while finding his inspiration and influence from a range of guitar greats, including Wes Montgomery, Charlie Christian, Joe Pass, and George Benson, among others. His musical identity has been shaped by everything from gospel and blues to traditional jazz, hip-hop, and horn players like Sonny Rollins and Joe Henderson. After graduating from Hiram College, Wilson made his recording debut with pianist Joe McBride and performed a worldwide acclaim with Joey DeFrancesco and Christian McBride's Tip City, eventually recording his debut as a band leader with To Whom It May Concern in 2012. Over the years, Wilson has shared the stage with a host of jazz greats, including Eric Marienthal, Russell Malone, Les McCann, Renee Marie, Jeff Hamilton, David Sanborn, and Dave Stryker. In 2017, Wilson earned a Grammy nomination for his work on DeFrancesco's Project Freedom album. He also served as a guitarist on Van Morrison's recent albums, You're Driving Me Crazy and The Prophet Speaks. In 2021, Wilson released Vessels of Wood and Earth, which includes the standout cut, Who Shot John? The album was produced by McBride for his Brother Mr. Productions label. In 2022, Wilson was named as a Letter Rising Stars Jazz winner. His latest LP, Things Eternal, features his innovative take on the Beatles' Eleanor Rigby. Writer Michael Toland praised the album, extolling the ways in which Wilson lets the grooves and melodies talk for him, whether he's a learning into R&B with Philip K. Jones' Stickology and Stevie Wonder's Smile, Please, or lighting out for the bop territories with Freddie Hubbard's Birdlike and McCoy Tyner's For Tomorrow. Welcome, Dan Wilson. 
I wonder if you could start by telling us, you know, when, when you first got to Spark, did you grow up in a musical family? How did it all start? Man, you know, I, I kind of sort of a musical family. Yeah, I, I uh, my mom, um, well, I, I didn't realize this until I was like maybe, I don't know, maybe in my teens that, that she was actually a really good singer. I didn't I didn't realize it. She knew like a ton of jazz standards. I mean, like she had an entire fake book in her head. And uh, it's, you know, when, when I started learning, she was like, oh, that's cool. You learned. Do you know the shadow of your smile? Uh, do you know when I fall in love? Oh, do you know tenderly? I'm like, where where was this all along? Where was this the first 13 years of my life? So uh, but my dad was a, a musician. He played uh, drums and bass. And then I found out later uh, when I was in my like later teens that he could play a little bit of piano. I don't know why. I don't know why it never came up, but um, he showed me how to play drums and bass. And then uh, our church needed uh, our particular local church needed a guitar player. So we went out to guitar center. He got me a guitar and he was like, you're on your own here. And so I just kind of started figuring it out. Um, but I had a, I had amazing examples, uh, like in our district, in our church district, there were some just, I mean, top level guitar players. So I would sit behind uh, behind the front pew and just kind of look over their shoulders and, and just try to play everything they were playing. But that, that's how I got my start. <laughs> I love your story about being a teenager and making these discoveries. Only as teenagers could we miss all of that, right? <laughs> just completely oblivious <laughs> it was it was it was incredible <laughs> hidden in plain sight all that time do you uh yeah. what was your first guitar it was a uh it was an old, old, old like a cheap squire um <laughs> yeah it was a cheap squire my dad was like if you're not serious about this i'm not i'm not spending a whole bunch of money so you know you can uh get serious first and then we'll talk about getting you something better and, and you know, and I, I I stuck with it. I was I was I got I got borderline obsessed, and my my uncle actually ended up giving me a really really nice guitar. It was a Gibson Howard Roberts, and and I have it to this day. It has great sentimental value. Now, is that your main guitar? Now, no, no. I, I play um, I play the uh, Benedetto Pat Martino. So when when I got um when I got the endorsement with uh with Benedetto, I started uh I, you know, I went through a couple of their instruments and they, they make some great instruments, but I settled on the on the Pat Martino because of the versatility and the the ease of travel. <laughs> well, those are important considerations, which yeah, I know so many people who learn to play on a squire, and it's almost better for you because you know it doesn't have the greatest action and it and, and uh, et cetera, and it almost makes you work harder. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It didn't have the greatest anything. I just <laughs> like I just kind of you know I just had to make it work. You know. Yeah, <laughs> that's what music is, right? In a way, problem solving. For sure. For sure especially in jazz when you're playing with a group, you know, um, and, and you have a, uh, and I, I really urge the folks out there to listen uh, to your work, which is, you know, widely available on 
on all of the streaming channels. And uh, I note that that's just a crack group. How do you how do you work to find a band um, and to be able to create that chemistry, um, which is, you know, exponentially more difficult in jazz? I've really enjoyed watching, for example, your videos of, of Who Shot John, for example, and, and oh. watching, you know, the group, some working from music, at least to get, I guess, the basic structure. How does, how does that evolve? Man, you know, it's like the age of old um, human experience, you know, we uh, repetition, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just like, and, you know, a lot of it is like, uh, I, I take into account personality. Like we, we've all, you know, we've all, um, all the musicians in the band, we've all studied the music, you know, the history of music, uh, you know, we we love uh, everything from Louis Armstrong to Charlie Parker to you know, the, every, to everything that, that came out today. Um, but you know, I, I beyond that, I, I look for certain personalities that that can can work together. You know, they they they've already taken care of the of uh, being able to play their instrument. Now, um, can we work together? Can we get along on the road? And we get along on the bandstand. You know, I take into account their musical interests. Like, for example, the drummer Dave Throckmorton. We have a, like we had like a decade long chemistry. You know, we we like a lot of the same stuff. We we love uh, Jack DeJohnette. Um, you know, all the kind of the eighties uh, session drummers. You know, we talk about J.R. Robinson. We talk about uh, Jeff Porcaro from uh, from Toto. Um, Steve Gadd, Vinnie Caliuta. So we kind of hook up on that. We also hook up on like Elvin Jones, Tony Williams, and and people like that. So, you know, I try to bring all that to the table. I um especially when I write for, for these for these musicians. You know, I, I kind of take account into account what's in their wheelhouse. Um but you know, just really just looking for the the right personalities. I guess in a lot of ways, right? It's like screenwriting where you're writing for particular actors to speak the parts. You're trying to find or you're you're writing rather for their voice. Is that correct? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Um and it, it's it's nice uh to get to know it. Like, you know, because like for example, uh I, I think I knew that this was this was gonna be a good group when we were um we're after a gig where we're packing up and without saying anything, uh, everybody starts helping to carry the the drummers, uh, the drummers equipment back to the car. You know what I mean? So that, that moment right there, I'm like, okay, yeah, we, we, we got a good band here. You know, everybody's not kind of in their own head. We're, we're just like, somebody grabs a bass drum, other person grabs a snare, you know, one person grabs some, some other hardware. So that's, that's the sign of a, of a good band. Yeah, it's not just playing, right? It's it's also having a little class. Exactly. Like if we're going to be in a van together for hours on end. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to be with the you know super genius who who's like tortured for the art. You know, that's that's uh, <laughs> that's no fun. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> and I <laughs> um, that just almost this unspoken language with you, as you said, with your drummer and with your pianist. Um, you know, there's this 
um, there's this interplay that, of course, we as as uh, observers can't crack that code. But that's okay. Mm -hmm. That makes it great. Yeah, man. It's. it's I mean, I, I feel like. Um, I, I agree with something that uh, Branford Marcellus said. It's, it's not the um, it's not the audience's job to uh, to really understand the intricacies of, of what you're doing. It's, it's it's your job to make them feel something on a on a visceral level, and you know I, I always hope that comes across. Well, it sure does with who shot John and, uh, you know, trolling around the Internet. I can tell I'm not the only person to respond to that song. Can you tell me about the origin story with that one and uh, how it developed? Yeah, yeah. So so that was um, so when I, when I was growing up um, in the in the church, we used to have these uh, revivals or uh, convocations. So we, we have one. There's a Midwestern one. There was a uh, Eastern Regional Convocation that was held in Princess Anne, Maryland, on the Eastern Shore. There's a Western one held in uh, Casa Grande, Arizona, and a Southern one held in Sefner, Florida. So, uh, when, when I would go, we would go to the the Eastern Shore. Um, there, there would be it's three days and three services per day. So. The, the some of the sisters in the church would get these elaborate hairdos and spend hundreds of dollars in these elaborate hairdos to just to go into a church full of, with hundreds of people and uh no air conditioning and so by like the by the end of, of like song one you know the their their hairdos are completely ruined and sweated out and so a friend of mine said that uh some of the sisters would go into these services looking like a million bucks and come out looking like who shot John. So <laughs> I, uh, I, I never forgot that. And I, I named the tune who shot John. <laughs> That's great. Now as a Beatles guy, <laughs> I was worried that it was about John Lennon. <laughs> mm -mm -mm. <laughs> no way. No way. <laughs> that would be kind of dark. No. And it was too up tempo for that. That your story is better. Uh, I remember, yeah, that, yeah. right, folks getting all dolled up for events like that. And then, you know, in no time, it's all over. <laughs> it's done. Yeah, because we were like, we, we're not like the the quiet church that sits down and, you know, people will be out in the aisles dancing. And, you know, it was, it was that kind of that kind of experience, you know, great place to learn music. Oh, yeah. And it's amazing how how often I talk to folks, uh, musicians who who learn to play singing in church or and it was I think it goes right back right to what you said. Repetition. You know, you're going to play at least once a week. Um, you know, yeah. that's what I learned. I learned to, to sing and play in church because of, of what you just said. You knew there were going to be one rehearsal at least and Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not like a. It's not like a home music is not like a homework assignment. It's a it's a uh it's a way of life, you know. Like even before we we picked up uh, an instrument, you had to learn to clap on beat. Cuz like we we had uh devotional services, so uh it, it wasn't an option for if you to just sit down and uh and observe the service. You you had to you had to get up, sing and, and participate. Everybody in the church was required to do that. So by the time you pick up an instrument, you know, 
a, a lot of the problems have, that a lot of students encounter have been solved already. We'll be back with more from Dan Wilson after these messages. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Everything Fab Four on Salon.com. I, I know that you, you've also done a cover of Eleanor Rigby. Um, do you have a, um, where do the Beatles fit inside your repertoire? Do you have a Beatles discovery story back there in the, it, in the attic somewhere? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, a, that's in the front room. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the way I kind of got hit to the, to the Beatles genius was actually through george benson mm-hmm. um got that uh that album the other side of abbey road and all these great arrangements uh i think don sebesky might have done those arrangements i'm not uh, the, i think he might have done the orchestral arrangements but that's accurate yeah 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 and uh so i was like so i went kind of went backwards i was like and i started checking out all the uh, the originals. I was like, man, there's some serious, serious songwriting here. Um, and just just to see the way the the Beatles put phrases together um, was pretty pretty intricate. Like, um, there's that that song, uh, "You Never Give Me Your Money." Mm. You know, there there's a um, just the way the even on, on the original, you know. Uh, just the way they put the phrases together, there there will be like five bar phrase, three bar phrase, and you know, really, really interesting. Uh, and and El- Eleanor Rigby, the the first phrase is five bars, and uh, I was like, man, that that would be really cool swinging, you know. And it's just like just seeing how that the string arrangement kind of jumped out at me, you know, it's real, it's really lively. You know, you know, it's really upfront and really lively, even though the subject matter is really is kind of dark. Oh, yeah. No one was saved. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's lie. like you know, <laughs> guys in their, in their socks. You know, it's just like it's really it's sad. A happy ending there. Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. But the, the strings had that kind of rhythmic bounce. So I, I was like, man, you know, what? let me try to see how this sounds swinging. And I remember when we first started playing it, everybody would get tripped up. On that five bar phrase, you know, you know, when we would start, when we would start improvising, everybody, you know, everybody's used to hearing things in, you know, four bar phrases, but that first five bar phrase is, is kind of tricky. I like how you guys found the kind of um, tension and I guess urgency in that song um, and really honed in on that. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's there. It's there. It's like, um, yeah. Wh- whoever did those string arrangements really uh, kind of put that that urgency there. Um, it was George we, Martin. We just, yeah, that's, that's right. That's George Martin. Yeah, yeah. And then he, uh, but he borrowed it 
from um, Bernard Herman, who did the Hitchcock scores around the same time. That kind of choppy sound, like in Psycho. Psycho, that's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. I'm so glad mm -hmm. you mentioned the George Benson record. You know, that thing completely holds up. Yeah. And, and I think it came out pretty pretty close to uh, when, when they released Abbey Road. I think so too, and it, it, but it, it just absolutely is a, it's a powerhouse that thing. Um, you know, I'd like to go back, if you will, for a moment to you never give me your money, um, mm -hmm. which they made that in May nineteen sixty nine. So it's getting pretty close to the end. But the guitar work in that song, in that original recording, is so organic. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, in a way. And I know that this will bother a lot of folks out there, but so what? Um, in a way, that's some of the best guitar playing, period, in their whole story. There's just this yeah. organic give and take with those passages that roll from one section of the song to the next. And they never repeat. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, man. Like, uh, I have an arrangement of, of uh, You Never Give Me Your Money. So I, I haven't... Uh, I haven't uh, brought it to the masses yet, but uh, but it, it has some of that stuff because uh, it's nice because of, like how the uh, guitar marks the section, you know, do 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 you know, it's it's really uh, it's really cool. Exactly that part, and then it's like. Um... There's almost, and maybe I'm using the the language wrong here, but it's almost like there's a resolution, right? Where it's working up to a note and it arrives there and then it goes somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the harmony is really unconventional, you know, um, just, uh, I, I like how they end up on that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all good children go to heaven. It's really, um, a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of cool elements in that, in that tune. So, if uh, you know, staying in the world of jazz for a moment, um, you know, what is your Desert Island album? If there was one you had to have, right? You're you're stuck out mm -hmm. there in the middle of nowhere, and there's one record that you you'll be referring to for the rest of your days. Hopefully, you'll meet like a you know, a volleyball <laughs> or something. Out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I share a last name with. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> So you know, <laughs> hopefully you guys get along because it's going to be a long time. But yeah, what what happens? <laughs> what, what album? Man. I know this is a ridiculous question, but um, it's so tough. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, we're talking jazz here. We're talking jazz. You don't have to pick a Beatles okay. album. Well, maybe you can throw in a Beatles album too if you want. <laughs> All right. Um. Oh man, this, this is a tough one. I'm gonna have to go with um, probably milestones, Miles Davis. Yeah, yeah that 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 record. Um, when, when I was learning that record, I, I kind of was on a, a deserted island because I was <laughs> uh, I was going to Youngstown State University, and my drive was like an hour, yeah, exactly an hour. Uh, back and forth, and I, I would listen to that album Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. My my whole trip, all the way, all the way, uh, all the way there, and all the way back. So I I was you know for two hours, uh, two hours a day. I was 
on a desert island with that album. Nothing else existed. And it, it, is it one of those where you listen to it even today and you still haven't interpreted and mined everything out of it? Oh, 100%. 100%. Like, uh, it's, it's, there's so many classic moments on there. I, I think uh, Miles' solo on, on Straight No Chaser is, is one of the best solos that's ever been played in jazz. I have, I have a couple. Those it's, it's one of my Mount Rushmore solos. Um, then the of course the the version of the Ahmad Jamal uh, arrangement of Billy Boy. Mm. That and Miles doesn't even play on that one. There are no horns on that record. He had the the foresight to just be like, you know, I'm gonna sit out on this one. <laughs> and just, just, just Red Garland, Paul Chambers, and Philly Joe Jones. It's incredible. His level of confidence was really something, you know, yeah. I'm sure like all of us, it wasn't in all parts of his life, <laughs> but at least when, when he was making music, um, you know, he, he had no peer. I don't know that one solo you just described, you know, thinking back on that, that may be the best solo anywhere. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, there's no fat on it at all. Yeah. The, the, there's, I don't think I can think of one, uh, there's a Louis Armstrong solo on uh, Potato Head Blues, and where where you can really tell, like he's taking American music to to the next level. You know that like he's completely ahead of the pack, and uh, you know, and, and you can tell it's like reminiscent of maybe like King Oliver or something like that. But you can tell like this is the next step in the uh in the music and, and the music's going to be changed forever yeah that's and that's a remarkable thing isn't it and i guess that's the lightning in the bottle that you know the beatles captured for a while that ability to be so far out in front you can't see them <laughs> mm -hmm. their moment um and of course neither of us are first generation fans but you know coming up with yeah. things like rubber soul revolver sergeant pepper yeah, I, I, it's uh, in a way that must feel like a desert island when you're doing something nobody else is doing. Yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure. You know, and I, I can, uh, you know, I can only imagine some of the, like the pressure that they must have, they must have felt, you know, with so many eyes on them and, and so many kind of hangers on, you know, when, when you're, you know, when you're playing like you're, uh jazz gig with 30 people you know there's a certain like anonymity that you can yeah. that you you learn to appreciate as you become more more visible you know you know some and some of those eyes i guess we're hoping for them to fail too <laughs> oh oh yeah for sure oh for yeah. sure like when you yeah, and when anybody gets to to that level, you know, you got some you got some people like, oh, they shouldn't have that amount of success, and you know, but people, I, I remember when when Jordan was when Michael Jordan was at the the height of his uh, his career, and and I remember people saying they were tired of him winning so much. <laughs> that's a, that's an unbelievable thing to say. You know, it, like, yeah, <laughs> but, like somehow it like somehow it wasn't entertaining anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like he, like he was uh, he should just give people a break from winning so much. 
Yeah. That's, that's insane. Yeah, it's not Little League, <laughs> you know. Um, exactly. And then even when he's not at the top, he can still pull out the shot, you know. It's um, – yeah. Some people can just play regardless of the genre, whether it's music or, you know, basketball or what have you, right? I mean, it's just uh, mm-hmm. it's just a skill. I, I often say to my students, you know, we they, they'll say, wow, we just listened to the White Album or whatever, and what genius it is. And I'll say, I don't know if that's genius. I think genius is knowing that you needed to go in and make the album and, mm-hmm. and show up. Or like you said earlier, I mean, it's a lot of the – the non-musical things that allow the musical things to be great. Like people who chip in and help out, you know, showing up yeah. is, uh, and knowing to show up even when you don't want to is a kind of genius. Uh, oh, for sure. Oh yeah, yeah man. And, and, you know, there, there's that, uh, and we talked about that repetition, you know, uh, and I, I, I went back and I, I sometimes I, I go back and listen to, uh, interviews of, of Charlie Parker and you kind of you kind of he, hear about his habits his practice habits early on you know he's uh, like that interview he did with um Paul Desmond I think yeah I think it was Paul Desmond and he's he was like uh well you know I I practiced for three months straight uh 12 hours a day <laughs> like that that right there that's like what <laughs> three months, three months, twelve hours a day. You know, and, and so that's why I was so kind of upset when the movie Bird came out, and it was so focused on his drug use. You know, as as if his his genius, because you know, it's, it's more of a romantic story uh, to have like a a tortured genius who was addicted to drugs, and his life was in shambles, but uh, his his genius just came from somewhere else. Because it's a lot less glamorous to uh, to see him uh, practicing twelve hours a day for three months straight. Yeah, and and I I totally agree because that's the failure of that film. It doesn't it doesn't capture the work, which is you got to love the work, right? I mean, <laughs> the work that yeah. it took for him to get there. Um, I was uh, I was talking to a uh, the author of one of the Prince biographies, and he was. He was talking about the when Prince discovered the guitar and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, he was at a, I think a friend's house or what have you. And um, his dad had a, had a good guitar and Prince started playing it and they woke up the next day and he's still playing it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it that's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that, yeah, man. You know, um, I, I played with uh, the great Joey DeFrancesco for, like like five years and just seeing uh you know just being on the road with him for that long you know you start to learn a lot about like what what genius actually looks like you know but i i that's somebody who who had like really like highly developed mental capabilities like he had a photographic memory you know he can remember people from like 30 years ago like uh, he was telling me he had uh, he remembered seeing Thelonious Monk uh, and Art Blakey, Dizzy Gillespie when he was two years old, <laughs> and he 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 remembered the uh, the color of uh, Thelonious Monk's uh, suit jacket, and so you know 
And he, when he was little, he, all he would want to do is play the organ. So he spent all that uh, all that time, all that and, and repetition playing the organ. So when he, when he became an adult, it's like it's easy for him. You know, the the Joey DeFrancesco we see, you know, it just it's like breathing. Yeah, and all that musical structure and theory he must have learned just by rote. Yeah, man. I mean, like stuff that that man. I, just sometimes on on like sound checks, we would just be we'd be talking about like, oh, man, I'm struggling with uh, countdown countdown by uh, Coltrane. It's, it's just really tough. He's like, yeah, that's a tough tune, and he starts playing it at like three hundred beats per minute. He's like, yeah, and it goes here, and we're just like. We're just sitting there looking at him like, yeah, I'm gonna just pa- I'm gonna pack up and go back to the hotel. Everything Fab Four is presented by Salon.com, the premier news, politics, innovation, and arts website. For more information, visit everythingfab4.com, where you can learn more about our podcast and my latest Beatles-related books, including John Lennon 1980, The Last Days in the Life, and a forthcoming biography about beloved Beatles roadie Mal Evans. The Everything Fab Four theme song, Seize the Day, is provided courtesy of Black Rabbit, the high-octane Beatles cover band and innovative psychedelic rock project from Rockaway Beach, Queens in New York City. Like what you heard today on Everything Fab Four? Be sure to subscribe, give us a rating, and recommend the show to your friends. Plus, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at EF4 Podcast. Distributed by Salon, Everything Fab Four is a Wonderwall production. Remember, it's a Beatles world, and everyone has a story. <laughs>